This episode of Do You Want to Hear a Story is intended for adult audiences. It may contain graphic descriptions and coarse language. Listener discretion is advised. August 16th, 2020 marked the 40th anniversary of the disappearance of Azaria Chamberlain. If you're not familiar with the name, you may have heard, and unfortunately often in a comedic setting, a dingo stole my baby. This story is far from a comedy though. It's a tragedy for all involved. A tragedy that would have the entire population of Australia debating. Did Lindy Chamberlain kill her daughter? Or did a dingo really take the baby? Do you want to hear a story? Will you give a few seconds of your time? Good evening, folks. Kennedy can die. The atomic power plant in the city of Kiev was damaged. How do you measure such an astonishing moment in history? The energy crisis. You want to hear my story? Well, let me ask you face to face what every Australian would ask you. Did you kill Azaria? No way. I love that little girl. <laughs> On June 11, 1980, Michael, a Seventh day Adventist church minister, and Lindy Chamberlain, who specialised in making wedding dresses to order, as well as performing the normal duties of a minister's wife, welcomed their new daughter Azaria to their young family. A new baby sister for Aiden, who was seven at the time, and Regan, who was four. Two months later, after deciding to take a trip, late on the night of the August 16th, the Chamberlains arrived at a campground at the base of Uluru. Back then, it was still referred to as Ayers Rock. The day of the 17th began as any normal camping trip would. Michael and the boys climbed over portions of the rock, while Lindy and baby Azari explored a rock formation called Fertility Cave. In her telling of the story, Lindy would reference this point of the day where she looked up to see a dingo just outside the cave staring at her. She said, looking back, she had a feeling the dingo was casing the baby. Mm. Once the sun went down, the family gathered with the other campers around the barbecues near their tent site. Lindy held Azaria in her arms as she and Michael chatted with Greg and Sally Lowe, another young couple also camping with a baby. Around 8pm, Sally Lowe walked to the rubbish bin to dispose of items left over from the barbecue. She turned to see a dingo following her four or five steps behind. Minutes later, Michael entertained his son Aiden by tossing the crust of a bread to a dingo that appeared near the barbecue bench. Lindy announced that she was putting Azaria down to bed just after 8pm. She headed back to the tent, which was only 20 metres or so away from the barbecue area, and put Azaria to bed next to her sleeping brother Regan. Lindy then rejoined everyone back at the barbecues. Shortly after, the baby crying sent Lindy racing back to the tents to investigate. And then she said the famous words, My God, my God, the dingo's got my baby. Frank Morris was the first investigator to arrive. He shone a light across the floor of the Chamberlain tent, where he noticed blood on one of the rugs and paw prints leading away from the tent entrance. Trackers followed the dingo prints until they could no longer, as it mixed in with shoe prints of humans on the road. They saw drag marks in the sand, and in two places where there was a shallow depression in the sand, where it looked like a bundle had been set down, apparently while the animal rested. The depressions contained the imprint of a knitted garment, and next to one, small dark patches in the sand, which they took to be blood. Soon campers were locating torches and heading out into the dark shop. Nearly 300 men, women and teenagers formed a human chain to look for tracks or pieces of clothing. 
Michael, who did not join the chain, had already assumed the worst, telling a fellow camper, she's probably dead now. And then he oddly added, I am a minister of the gospel. That's weird. Yeah. When we saw the spots of blood in the tent, as we looked, we realized it must have been a very quick event. And this morning when we saw in the blanket, the sharp rip, jagged marks in that very thickly woven blanket, we knew that that was a, was a powerful beast. The original police officers assigned to the case, Inspector Michael Gilroy, Frank Morris and John Lincoln discussed over drinks the likelihood of the Chamberlain's claims. John Lincoln was very vocal about his opinion that the dingo could not have carried a baby that far, going as far to put the handle of a bucket filled with sand, weighing roughly the same as a two-month-old baby in his mouth and seeing how long he could hold it for, challenging anyone else to prove him wrong. Because of course he's a dingo. Of course. Yeah. A week after the disappearance, a photographer Wally Goodwin, while at Uluru photographing flowers, found a torn nappy and jumpsuit. Then a couple of weeks later, on August 28th, Detective Sergeant Graham Charlwood took over the Chamberlain investigation. He would ponder Inspector Gilroy's initial report on the case, which included in his opinion, some suspicious tidbits of information. Gilroy had reported that when Lindy had brought Azaria in for a medical checkup, the baby was dressed in all black, and the examining doctor who, if you do any type of research, you'll find out that this actually wasn't Azaria's doctor, had been curious enough to investigate the origins of the name Azaria. He looked it up in the dictionary of names and discovered that it meant sacrifice in the wilderness. Mm. I mean, that definitely helps the narrative to come, but her name... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, her name actually means whom God aids. Okay. Which I think is a little bit more fitting for the daughter yeah. of a minister. Yep. So Gilroy also commented that Azaria's clothes were found close to where the family had hiked earlier in the day. He noted that the people who had observed her that evening assumed she was holding a baby when what they could have seen was her holding a white bundle interesting you can start to see the theories that were being formulated very early on is that fair to say a lot of a lot of independently suspicious little bits of information but doesn't necessarily mean that they all add up to the worst but no. yes you can definitely see how it all is starting to form what people might think as to be the worst yeah i think as a police officer though and i something I'm not but I assume when you're looking at something like this or any type of investigation you have to look at the facts and not necessarily try and mold a case around what you think happened would you no, agree correct. with that yes you have to look at the evidence correct I guess the point I'm making is they I think they already had an idea and they were already fairly suspect on the claim that a dingo had taken the baby from the tent a range of labs, wildlife parks, and investigators began conducting experiments to test the legitimacy of Lindy's account of Azaria's disappearance. Blood, vegetation, and hair samples found on Azaria's clothing were examined. Dead dingoes were shot in the Uluru region. Following the disappearance, they were dissected by veterinarians looking for either human bone or human protein. Tears in the fibers of Azaria's clothing were studied, essentially trying to find out did the tears appear to have been caused by dingo's teeth or by some type of human instrument. Yep. At a Cleveland Park Wildlife Reserve in Adelaide, dingoes were tossed meat wrapped in babies' nappies so that the nappies could be studied and compared to Azaria's. From all of these various efforts, investigators began to build a case for murder. Mm. So again, it seems that they were always not not trying to 
skew the evidence, but they weren't necessarily looking to prove a dingo had taken this baby at any point early on in the investigation. True. It was all geared around trying to build a case for murder. I don't think they I don't think I don't think anyone involved in the very early days really bought the story. No, I mean and it's just from the beginning before you hear any information a dingo got my baby sounds far-fetched. Mm. Yep. So as they often tend to do newspapers fueled suspicions that the Chamberlains had killed their baby, possibly a religious sacrifice. That was an angle that was really worked mm-hmm. in the early yep. days of all the reporting because Michael was so heavily involved in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Especially because of his reaction. Uh, she's probably already gone. Mm. Yeah. There was even stories reported that the Chamberlains were somehow linked to the Jonestown mass suicide, which had only happened a couple of years earlier, and that maybe Azaria had been killed to atone for the sins of the Seventh-day Adventist church. That's a bit dark, isn't it? Yeah. Are you familiar at all with the Jonestown massacre? Not really. So, very briefly, this happened, like I said, a couple of years earlier from when Azaria went missing, where more than 900 members of the cult that was known as the People's Temple died in a mass suicide murder under the direction of their leader, Jim Jones. So, it took place Mm -hmm. at his little settlement called Jonestown. Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. Reporters frequently observed that many Australians concluded from televised interviews with the Chamberlains that the couple's demeanour did not match what they would expect from a couple that had just tragically lost a child. I've got to ask you this. I have, from a police source, been told that there is no way a dingo could have taken your child. The forensic tests show that. What's your reaction to that? No comment. Is there some other story? Could could an Aboriginal lady have your child? No. It was definitely a dingo. We stand by a story. Where the clothing was found and the way it was arranged on the ground, it couldn't have been a dog. Mm. But we know nothing of this. Nor do the police on the case. So directly after this interview, I'm going to ring the case. Well, I can't divulge my source. Well, I'm going to bring them very shortly because... Um, you bring them now if you like. Bring them now if you don't mind. All right, fine. You won't tell me? No. In 1980, back home in Mount Isa, Charlwood conducted several hour-long separate interviews with Lindy and Michael Chamberlain. His questions took them along the timeline from their departure from Ayers Rock to the following days of Azaria's disappearance. The interview was relatively civil, Charlwood took particular interest in Lindy's unusual reaction to his suggestion that she be hypnotised in an effort to pull out additional details concerning her sightings of the dingo around the tent. She immediately rejected the idea, saying the church wouldn't allow it and I wouldn't do it. So it fell to the magistrate and the coroner of Alice Springs, Dennis Barrett, to conduct what would eventually turn out to be the first of three coroner's inquests into the death of Azaria Chamberlain. The inquiry opened on December 16th in 1980 with Ashley McNay for the Northern Territory laying out the case for human intervention in her death. The evidence suggested that the clothes were put in place, not dragged by a dingo, and that the clothes showed signs of being removed from the baby by a human. Moreover, he added, the damage to the clothes is inconsistent with being caused by a dingo. 
He questioned Lindy Chamberlain, but genuinely failed to show her as a mother with either the will or motive to kill her own child. And this was the, um, initially, from what I know about this story, it was all about the, not that a dingo didn't take the baby, but it was highly unlikely with all of the evidence and things surrounding that it actually did, based on what you just said about the clothes being removed. Obviously, by now, we haven't found the baby. The baby, you know, it's, um, it's, it's missing. But the whole point was not that a dingo didn't, but it's, we think it's in, in this situation, it's highly unlikely that it did. 100%. It was wholly geared around proving that Lindy and or Michael were involved in Azaria's death. That's right. It was never a clear narrative that the dingo did it and it's an open and shut case. That was never, mm-hmm. ever the case, especially, especially in the early days. That's right. On September 19, 1981, officers of the Northern Territory Police conducted a four and a half hour search of the Chamberlain's home, seizing over 300 items ranging from clothing to scissors to the yellow Tirana that they had driven to Uluru. Charlwood revealed to Lindy that the search had been prompted in part by the findings of a British forensic expert, James Cameron, who concluded from examining the baby's clothes that no dingo had been involved in her disappearance. Mm. Lindy's response was I didn't know there was any dingo experts in London her, Again, her behaviour here is very suspect Yeah, and it's interesting Not- because I saw an interview with one of the, the journalists that was heavily involved in the case when it was first taking place mm-hmm. and, and he said that he'd spoken to Lindy about the way she responded and the way she behaved especially when being questioned by the police in interviews and when she was in court ultimately and her response to that was that she just didn't know how to respond. She didn't know what was the right type of behavior. I mean, she, she was just she didn't know if she should be smiling, if she should be sad. She felt anything that she did was being spun totally against her. I, that's that's a fair comment, but I would also say if you're an expert in 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 asking these questions of different kinds of people, you're going to have a pretty good grasp on... I mean, she wouldn't be the first mother who's lost an infant baby that he's ever come across. So there's a natural reaction. If you're a mother and you've just lost your two-month-old baby, there's a natural way of answering the questions. Fair enough, you might be able to smile and laugh and that kind of stuff, but, I mean, you know, it's all about playing poker, I guess, at that stage. I agree, but I suppose she was also in a situation where... Every time she had an interaction with a police officer or a journalist, it was very obvious that everyone thought she did it. So she's not in the situation where she's just a grieving mother. She's she's in this position of defense. She's a grieving mother, uh, a grieving mother who is being um, potentially, you know, charged with murdering her her baby. Yeah, right. So she's never just coming from a place of grieving mother. She's coming from a place like a very defensive position of. My, I've just lost my daughter, but now I'm also being accused of of killing killing her. her. Yeah, true. And that that was the that was the entire problem with the the investigation. The police were always looking to solve a murder number one, and they all had their theories early on in the piece that Lindy and yep. Michael had killed the baby. We've we've been getting up a few hypotheses. Up here. one that the baby was murdered in the car, and he disposed of it that night. What we were thinking, that if that was the, the case, that he wouldn't move the baby, he'd only take the clothes. That's right. And he'd leave the baby in the first place where he'd be in. 
They were only looking for evidence to support their theory, and they were about to find their smoking gun. A forensic officer by the name of Joy Cool had been testing samples taken from the family car. Hello. Thought we might brighten your day for you. Yes. We've got confirmed fetal blood on a coin, which is on a blood-stained area underneath the seat. Yeah. She has tested the coin and come up with fetal confirmed. Confirmed. Either the child was killed across the area of the console or was put there immediately after. We're too early to jump, but I think we've got it. 22 separate places in the car tested positive for fetal blood, which is obviously only found in babies. As far as the police and the country were concerned, the forensic evidence was now way overwhelming. There was essentially no doubt that the Chamberlains had done it, and they had very quickly become public enemy number one as far as the, the population of the country was concerned. Yep, I would. It seems that way. Hmm. In November 1981, Chief Minister Everingham, as Attorney General for the Northern Territory, filed a motion to quash the findings of the first inquest based on this newly discovered evidence. The second inquest would be extremely different from the first one. So the second inquest into her death opened in Alice Springs on December 14th, 1981, and that went before Coroner Jerry Galvin. The barrister assisting him focused on as you can imagine, mainly on the blood found in the car. That was, like I said, their yeah. smoking gun. Yeah. All the questions were geared around things like, did you notice any blood staining inside or outside of the car when you cleaned it? And do you recall cleaning blood off the seats in the car? I think the best way to sum up the second inquest was the way that one of the journalists who was heavily involved, Malcolm Brown, did. He said, the first inquest was about dingoes, while the second one was about blood. The blood evidence ultimately persuaded Galvin the coroner. He charged Lindy with the murder of baby Azaria and Michael as an accessory after the fact. Hmm. Lindy and Michael Chamberlain will go on trial. In a sensational end to the second inquest, Mrs. Chamberlain will be tried for murder, Mr. Chamberlain for assisting his wife to escape punishment. So at this point, I'm curious because everyone in this country knows the story, but mm -hmm. up to this point, you've heard all of this. What are you thinking? I'm just trying to cast my mind back and obviously people are sheep and they dish up what they're fed to them by the media but blood in the car dingo trying to case my baby michael's response just i don't know what happened but the whole thing sounds off mm. and if i was framing a betting market who killed baby azaria the dingo is not the favorite right now Right. Just based on uh, where we're at the story right now, Lindy's been charged, Michael's an accessory after the fact, the dingo is not the favourite right now. Mm. Mm. So with them being charged, it would go to court and be heard in front of a judge and jury. And as you can imagine, the newspapers had a field day with this and it was very often referred to as the case of the century. Well, you think about it. Missing baby, murdered baby, dingo, heirs rock young Queensland family, Seventh-day Adventist church, all of the other bits and pieces you want to add into the mix. It's a, it's a, it's a melting pot of a juicy... Like, oh, oh, man, it's, a, it's a juicy story. Like, it has, it's, it has it's, all it's, the makings, yeah. It's, I reckon it's our OJ. As far as being a journalist goes, back in the 80s, this was as good as it got. This was our, I reckon this was our OJ. Yeah. So here's mm. another bit that 
probably didn't help her or her public image. So when the trial started, she was seven months pregnant with a baby girl. Yeah. yeah. So for some reason, this seemed to fuel the hatred the Australian public had for her. And it felt as if she was doing something wrong, essentially trying to replace baby Azaria with another with another daughter i do remember in the movie evil angels where uh lindy is played by meryl streep Mm. her being pregnant i remember watching that movie in high school many years ago josh Mm. that Mm. was um and her being pregnant they definitely focused on that in the movie it's like hang on a minute like i mean again but that's just that's just public ridiculousness like how long is she supposed to grieve yeah it was a the problem was she was famous in her group of friends and family for always wanting a daughter. And mm-hmm. yeah. I guess when baby Azaria came along, that was all of her dreams coming true and she was taken away. Mm-hmm. Rightly or wrongly, like how you grieve, it's going to be case up by case, you. you know? That's up to you. And you should never be told how to grieve. Um, I, I've heard that many times and people take death different ways and, and you grieve how you grieve. Don't, don't put the way you grieve onto somebody else. Yep. Yep. So Lindy's defense attorney, his name was John Phillips, and he was famously happy about the fact that the final jury consisted of nine men and three women, which I would have thought you would potentially want it the other way, but for nah, some reason... Because, nah, because if you're a mother mm. or a female, you're looking at her going, are you serious? So yeah, yeah. So a guy by the name of Ian Barker, he was responsible for the prosecution. So he opened the case by telling jurors, Azaria died very quickly because somebody had cut her throat. He then added, the Crown does not venture to suggest any reason or motive for the killing. It is not part of our case that Mrs. Chamberlain had previously shown any ill will toward the child. But he did go on to say that the story about the dingo attack was a fanciful lie calculated to conceal the truth so those are some direct quotes from the court transcript mr barker put directly to mrs chamberlain that she had taken azaria to the front seat of the family car and cut her daughter's throat mr barker said a spray of azaria's blood had gone up under the dashboard and that more blood had flowed down the seat mrs chamberlain began sobbing uncontrollably and after more questions said we're talking about my baby daughter not some object over the course of the trial there was close to 40 witnesses but the first witness was sally Lowe, who you would remember at the beginning of the story was the other young mother that was also camping with her baby the problem was her statement basically offered as much support to the defense as it did to the prosecution so she described lindy as being away from the barbecue for only six to ten minutes a very short period in which to have committed the murder and temporarily disposed of the body she also damaged the crown's case or the prosecution's case by insisting i heard the baby cry quite a serious cry that's a direct quote yep so again a lot of their case centered around the fact that the baby didn't cry so that's a really important point to hit because if lindy did it the baby wasn't crying on cross-examination sally confirmed that she was positive she'd heard a baby cry a cry that was suddenly cut off and that the cry definitely came from the tent and she also described lindy before the incident as having a new mum glow about her 
So testimony from others who were at the campground generally presented a version of events that also seemed to aid the defense more than the prosecution. Greg Lowe, Sally's husband, was asked on cross-examination whether he saw any of the Chamberlains cleaning blood from their car at the time to match up with the prosecution's timeline. So, And he answered that he did not. Much of the cross-examination from Ian Barker of Lindy was devoted to poking holes in her story about seeing a dingo in the vicinity of the family tent. So he asked her to explain how a dingo shaking a bleeding baby would not have left large quantities of blood in and around the tent. He also challenged her to account for the fetal blood which the experts had claimed to have found in the family car. Her response to that was, I'm not going to speculate on how it got there. And near the end of the long cross-examination, he began asking questions that were really more statements pandering to the jury. He finished her cross-examination off by saying, may I respectfully suggest to you that the whole dingo story is mere fantasy. This next expert that the defense had in is someone to keep in the back of your mind. His name was Professor Barry Botcher, and he probably is one of the most important parts of the case moving forward. So he initially attacked Joy Cool, who was the expert who had conducted all the tests on the family car and had basically found a large amount of fetal blood in the car. The problem was his testimony was extremely complicated, and he would say that in retrospect, he felt like it might have flown right over the heads of all the jurors. I was probably far too technical for the jury. I had the feeling that I had let down the Chamberlains. I really uh, felt that. So more than two dozen defence witnesses followed Lindy to the stand. Several testified as to the Chamberlain's fine character and their grief over the loss of their daughter. Other witnesses told of either their own frightening encounter with dingoes at Ayers Rock or testified in general about the aggressiveness of the Uluru wild dog problem. In addition, there was eight defence forensic experts who would attack the dubious tests and conclusions of the prosecution's experts on all subjects ranging from the fibers found to the blood evidence. So when I first started doing the research into this story, it's hard to imagine what would ultimately become the outcome for Lindy from this trial because when you're reading over everything that's available to you, the defense at any point seemed to always be winning. The only thing the prosecution have to rely on is the blood found in the car and the fact that they've had all these experts claim that the tears found in the clothes were made by scissors. So the, those are the two massively determining factors that would ultimately sway the jurors. Because I suppose at the end of the day, it's not just the evidence, but you've also got to remember, even though a juror is supposed to come to the courthouse ready to make a totally clear and concise decision based on the evidence produced, they're all coming into the court case with... I think, a predetermined view on both Michael and Lindy Chamberlain. And also, the prosecution, it's their job to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Like, there's doubts here. Yes, the story so far in the narrative fits that it's quite fanciful that a dingo actually took a baby from a tent that was 20 metres away from a group of people that were camping, but the prosecution has a job to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that that's not what happened and Lindy actually murdered her own child. And, like, just if I'm following the story now for the very first time, so far, I don't... I don't. If I'm a juror, you haven't proven beyond a reasonable doubt that Lindy killed her baby. Mm. Well, I think 
smartly for the prosecution in every single news clip or interview I can find with Michael Chamberlain. He's a very straightforward, clear-cut type of guy. Like, he answers almost everything with a very unemotional position. Sam Neill played him in the movie, and he played a version of a man who wasn't very intelligent, wasn't very... Like, if, if that's... Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm using the wrong word there, but was just very, yeah, as you said, straight down the line, very, um, you know... Um, transparent, uh, not, not not very calculating or anything like that. It's just very just a simple bloke from Queensland, right? And I think that I don't know that I would say he's unintelligent. It was just that he wasn't highly emotional, which was no, a, correct. Which was a really, I guess, great thing for the prosecution to play on because the media had been driving home the entire time that all these answers seemed. All these answers mm-hmm. seemed calculated and prepared, almost yep. as opposed to emotionally answering something off the cuff. And I, I, I guess if you're in that situation and you know that you're going to be consistently hounded by journalists and police, maybe you do start to come up with some answers so that you have them ready, so that you can't be. Yep. Well, you have to. That's and that's what and that's what your lawyer will tell you. Stick to the facts. Answer this. Don't don't deviate. Don't do anything like that. Just play it straight down the line. Yep. Michael was the last witness that the defense would call. And then in his cross-examination, Ian Barker, the prosecutor, he was very quick to focus on points that you made. It was his actions in the first few hours after Azaria's disappearance. So his behavior, things that he said, and the fact that he hadn't joined in the search because he already assumed it was too late, basically. And Ian Barker, the, the prosecutor, he was very, very aggressive on pushing on the points that Lindy had killed his daughter, I guess trying to get him to crack. And he basically offered up, he asked him directly, the reason that he didn't, didn't go and look or didn't go and search with the other people was because he already knew that Lindy had killed the baby. And he kept pushing him with that point. And I, th- I think yep. in the reading, he was on the stand for like two or three hours being bombarded with questions about his wife killing his daughter trying to get it like ian barker was trying to get him to crack right there on the stand as they do at the end of the trial obviously both the defense and the prosecution have the chance to give their final summary to the jury john phillips the defense attorney he stressed that the prosecution had failed to provide even a remotely plausible explanation as to why lindy would want to kill her own child and this is a direct quote he said the prosecution has had two years and three months to think of a reason and they haven't been able to produce one the prosecution then came back and said during their own final summary that how could you possibly convict the dingo on this evidence one (laughs) well the dingo's not on trial firstly so that's probably not very smart but anyway yeah, but I suppose he was making the point there's just not enough evidence to substantiate this claim. Yep. He asked to keep in mind the fact that there was there was no dingo hairs or drag marks by the tent and the fact that no one saw it carrying the baby. They were very much geared around focusing on the the condition of the clothing that was found and how it was, they used the words, undamaged because there was very few tear marks in it. So he this is a quote from the transcript. The case against the dingo would be laughed out of the court. That's what he said to the jury in, in his final summary. Yeah. So just as and it's and it's fair to for those people that are listening to this story, it's fair to again repeat, they haven't found the baby. No. No. When the trial was all said and done, the jury was faced with the following. They had to believe the story that the police had put forward and the argument carried out by the prosecution that in ten minutes or less, 
Lindy left the barbecue area at the campground, went to the family car that was approximately 20 meters away, slit her baby's throat, put her baby in the camera bag, walked the 10 meters or so to the tent, planted some of Azaria's blood at the tent, and then disposed of her body, and then rejoined the other campers, none of whom noticed any change in her behavior at all. And the jury would also need to then completely dismiss the 40 odd witness accounts that the defense had called, all of which, like I said, were talking to their character, to the grief that they were going through, backing up her story. I mean, one of the major things that underpinned the prosecution's case was that if a dingo took the baby, you would have heard crying. Mm -hmm. Many of the witnesses said, we heard the baby crying. Yep. So after only a few hours of deliberation, the jury returned. At 8.35, six hours and 15 minutes after it retired, the jury finally returned to the court. The foreman was asked to rise. He was asked whether their verdict was unanimous. He answered, yes. The verdict in Mrs. Chamberlain's case, guilty. For Mr. Chamberlain, guilty. Mrs. Chamberlain was then sentenced to life imprisonment. So for the next three years, Lindy spent her time in Berrima Prison just outside of Darwin. Her first month in prison, she gave birth to their new daughter, Kalia. During her time, three things happened that would completely change the direction her life was headed. Because at this point, she was in prison for life. And I think back in the 80s, when you got a life a life sentence, it, it was, was life. life. It wasn't, it wasn't 25 years, years or 30 years. It, it was yep. life in prison. Yep. So three things happened. Professor Barry who during the trial tried to explain to the jury that the testing on the car resulting in the fetal blood present could have been done incorrectly producing false results. He was very certain that something in their hometown in Mount Isa, which was a mining town, had caused the tests to throw a faulty result. I was given some copper and zinc ore from Mount Isa and it gave a positive result as rapidly as blood did. So my wife and I went off to Mount Isa where the Chamberlains lived and as we walked to our accommodation there was dust on the front door and so I immediately tested that and it gave a positive result. We then tested streets and the dust on the sides of streets, we tested the keys of the accommodation. So it was the copper oxide in the dust from their hometown in Mount Isa that when tested by the original forensic tester, Joy Cool, on any surface of the car would have given the same result. That interference of the copper was what caused the test to come back positive for fetal blood in the family car. Okay. So she could have tested literally almost any part of the car and it mm. would have given her the same result that fetal blood was present. Okay. Even though that wasn't the case. Yep. And another big thing was under the glove box, there was actual specks of blood that Joy Cool had found and tested, also resulting in the fetal blood result. So that was the, that was the main components. There was 22 different points in the car that came back positive, and they had these blood splatters underneath the glove box. And it was actually a guy who was a private investigator that had just taken up this case basically off his own back and he started going around looking at as many Tiranas that he could find in different junkyards trying to see if there was any similarities between these splatters because he didn't believe that they were blood and what he found was this blood that was under the glove box was actually paint overspray yeah right so he started seeing this consistent pattern on basically all these Tiranas that he could find had very similar paint spray under the glove box and because that paint spray or the overspray also had this copper oxide all over it, 
it might have looked like old blood, but it was actually just paint. And this copper oxide was what was interfering with the test giving back the positive result for fetal blood in the car. Yep. So the second thing that would happen that would help change the direction here was during the trial, the prosecution argued that the hair found in the tent and on the baby's clothing was animal hair, but it was not dingo hair. The prosecution's whole claim geared around the fact that it was from the family cat, all of which was backed up by, I use this term loosely, experts. Hmm. Whilst Lindy was in prison, though, it just so happens that the world's foremost expert in animal hair lived in Australia. And he was finally given the chance, after requesting multiple times early on in the stage to examine the hair, he was finally given the chance, he was able to report back that he had zero doubt that it was dingo hair. And I'm quoting him when he says here, dingo hair and cat hair, it's like looking at apples and oranges. It's completely different. And he says that if he was given the chance to see this hair when he originally requested it, she would never have gone to jail. He's very confident of that. Right. So two of the biggest components in the prosecution's case was the presence of blood in the car which has now been disproven it was actually just essentially dust and paint yep and the second part was the fact that there was no evidence that there'd been a dingo in or around the tent and now that's been proven to be the case with the confirmation that this is in fact dingo hair not cat hair right so with all of these discoveries and the strength now, now the Australian the Australian public is totally on her side now and she's got the, the Innocence Project behind her. Mm-hmm. She'd go on to appeal her sentence. She was briefly released from jail pending her appeal, but the High Court of Australia on a vote of three to two refused to set aside her conviction and she found herself back in prison. I wonder how they came to that conclusion. No idea. But mm. there was one last thing that needed to take place and this was a total accident. If David Brett, who was an English hiker, hadn't been at Uluru in January of 1986, it is most likely Lindy would still be in prison today. The prosecution, another big component of their case was they argued that there was no evidence of any dingo saliva on any of the clothes that were found. Right. Lindy, in her defense, argued that that was because baby Azaria was wearing a matinee jacket over a jumpsuit. The entire time... The police, the prosecution, and the public never believed that it was that any said jacket existed. I reckon also, uh, just really quickly, if you asked any Australian, uh, uh, if you just said the word or just mentioned matinee jacket, I reckon a lot of Australians my age or older would, if you hear the word matinee jacket, you link it to baby Azaria. Because matinee jacket is, as, as what you're about to tell here, becomes very important. Mr. Barker said the dingo, which supposedly killed Azaria Chamberlain, must have been not only dexterous, but also very tidy. It was able to achieve the killing of the baby, its burial, its subsequent disinterment, and the removal of its clothes, all without leaving any discernible clue that a dingo was responsible. It was in 86, David Brent, the English hiker, would unfortunately fall to his death during a climb of Uluru. Eight days after his accident, his body was discovered just below the bluff where he had lost his footing in an area full of dingo lairs. As the police scoured the area looking for the missing bones that might have been carried off by any dingoes, they discovered a once white jacket that happened to be the missing matinee jacket. Hmm. So very quickly afterwards, a judicial inquest followed Lindy's release from prison. In May 1987, Justice Trevor Morling issued a 379-page report very critical of the investigation, as you can imagine at this point. Yep. He put great weight on the credible accounts offered 
by the Chamberlain's fellow campers, noting it's extraordinary that the persons at the barbecue area at the time of and immediately after Azari's disappearance accepted Mrs. Chamberlain's story and noted nothing about her appearance or conduct suggesting that she had suddenly killed her daughter. And I think that's a huge point, and you Correct. know, we've re- referenced it a couple of times. If you've, you, I mean, you would have to be, you'd have to be a total psychopath to be able to, to do what they had accused her of doing and then very quickly rejoin a barbecue, mm-hmm. having a beer, having a laugh with all of your friends and family. Correct. So he also went on to say, I'm far from being persuaded that Mrs. Chamberlain's account of having seen a dingo near the tent was false and that if the evidence before the commission had been given at trial, the trial judge would have been obliged to direct the jury to acquit the Chamberlains. Yep, fair enough. Like we've said now multiple times, the entire case hinged on the blood found in the car, Yep. the fact that there was no proof that there'd been a dingo there, Hmm. And the one thing that Lindy claimed the jacket was there, and that's why there was no saliva or any aggressive rip marks found on the clothes that they did find. It, obviously, if all of those things had have been there at day one, it would be, I would say, impossible to, to convict them or to charge them with murder. Would you agree? You'd have to think so. So on September 15, 1988, the Northern Territory Court of Criminal Appeals unanimously quashed all convictions against both Lindy and Michael Chamberlain. Lindy would go on to write a book, and at the end of her book, this is how she finished it. And now we wait. We wait for the Northern Territory to pay us what they owe. (laughs) That day finally came two years later when she received $1.3 million in compensation from the Northern Territory government for wrongful imprisonment. Unfortunately, though, it would take them another 24 years and two more inquests and a royal commission before the Chamberlains would ever hear the words, we are sorry. Please accept my sincere sympathy on the death of your special and loved daughter and sister, Azaria. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's story. If you've enjoyed what you're hearing and you're enjoying the podcast so far, we would greatly appreciate your feedback. Whilst we're forever grateful for all the listeners that have taken the time to subscribe, rate and review the podcast so far, If you're listening to this right now and you're enjoying what you're hearing, please take a minute to leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is very much valued. Thank you again. Until next week. Good night now.